Thank you for tuning in to Green and Growing. You are listening to 95.5 WSB. It's a beautiful Saturday morning here in Atlanta. So those of you that listen, you know this is the segment where I have a celebrity gardener on. And I am so pleased to tell you this is my first musician first musician that's joining me as a celebrity gardener, singer, guitarist, and president of Still Working Music Group in Nashville, Roy Orbison Jr. My goodness. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. Now, this is so cool, Roy, because you and I recently connected on Twitter, and the timing could not have been better. I had to laugh to myself. It was kind of fortuitous when I reached out to you to to be on the show with me. And you're like, oh, yeah, I actually have this new garden project that I'm in the midst of right now in Nashville. Tell us a little bit about that. I am geeked out and so excited to hear about it. Well, when you first asked, I thought, what am I going to say about gardening? <laughs> and I've had a little bit of time to think, and now I've just got too many stories right? of gardening. But right now we went through this, you know, this lockdown, and I always go to a lake. I walk around this lake here in Nashville. And I started going outside. Um, I have a four-year-old, Roy Orbison the third. Uh, that's my dad, Roy Orbison's grandson. And then Bo Orbison, who was named after my mom, who's Barbara Orbison. Oh, so I, I so I started like a dad to to think, okay, we need a little jungle gym and we need a swing and so the first thing I did I climbed a tree and I, I put a rope down. Then it started. I I've had a home in in Tennessee for a while. Uh my house used to be Don Gibson's house. So I'm, oh, I'm wow. sitting I'm sitting in a studio upstairs looking out over the garden right now and the backyard, which is now the whole thing is a garden. So, you know, I, I thought, Oh, I need to plant some trees for privacy here. I need to plant some honeysuckles over there on the fence. And, you know, first, I, I the, the the overgrowth, it was so, uh, and by the way, Don Gibson, he wrote, he, he's one of Nashville's greatest songwriters. Yes. He wrote, uh, I Can't Stop Loving You. So I'm a big Don Gibson fan, and I live here in his house in Tennessee. And he, he had let the backyard just go so much that I, I didn't know there was a backyard. <laughs> the surveyors told me, and I found out I had a couple of acres that I, that I, I cleared. Yesterday, we cut down five trees in the yard, and uh, uh, three of them were, were dead. <laughs> but, and the, the one living tree we had to cut, I nearly cried. I gave the tree a big hug. And I'm like, I hate cutting down trees. Trees are so valuable to me in the yard. You know, when I looked at it, I thought, how much? Put a dollar price on this tree. You can't do it. And I, then I thought, well, how much would it be to get a tree this size, you know, carried here, replanted, mm-hmm. all this? If you have a, yard, a tree in your yard, that tree is like a $15,000 tree. <laughs> so, yeah, and there's a story to it, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I've started making this walking path and so many reasons. When I was a kid in school, we would go to a park every Friday and run around and do these circuit training. You'd do squats at one, and then you'd run and do pull-ups and run. And, and so I always liked that kind of running around and having little stations. And in this case, I'm making little stations where it's, it's also you could meditate or, you know, little, uh, some spiritual things and statues of Buddha and, and, and relig- a little bit religious, uh, you know, some, some, uh, some Bible scriptures and things, just an uplifting walking path just to walk around. And so we can run, we can exercise, we can do these things. we putting down some wooden bridges, a little fountain. We're doing roses. We're doing honeysuckles. We're rolling out the grass. And uh, it's quite a big project. And I've spent uh, months planning it. And now we're doing it. 
It's amazing you've got the vision for it because I think when you're left with a blank palette like that, it can be so intimidating mm-hmm. for so many people, but you're so busy with many projects, which we'll get into, and juggling family and traveling from city to city, but this is important to you. It really seems like just more than an outdoor space, it is time to relax and connect with your family and connect with nature. Am I right? Oh, yes. Yes. My mom and I, we used to walk nearly every day and... Uh, that was her favorite favorite way to do business was to get away and go for a walk because you know no one's listening to you and uh, all that kind of thing too. So we could really go for a walk and, and plan things. And uh, she taught me a lot on those walks. She was just kind of like a yeah. She was my teacher, so she would she would tell me things. And you know, I just uh, I'm coming from uh, Johnny Cash is my godfather. George Harrison is like an uncle, and uh, and I learned a lot. So I'm really spoiled, really with the the input you were talking about the creativity and i suppose the greatest garden in the world arguably would be george harrison's house george harrison has a place um friars park i mean the garden that he has is so so fantastic that it it inspired disney disney world when when walt disney built disney world he had he traveled around europe and that's where he saw the castle the in Germany, Neuschwanstein, that became kind of the uh, castle at Disneyland, mm-hmm. and uh, and he got. The, they say he uh, George Harrison told me he got the idea for the rides. He had one made on, on George's property, and George didn't have it made. He bu- he bought it, but this thing was made in the 1800s. Wow. It's a kind of a it's an underground cave with water and a a ride in it, you know, a little track and a little boat, a little swan boat, and yeah. the, the thing still worked. I was down there with George. He was showing me this thing, and Walt Disney was traveling around Europe looking for inspiration, and he, he, he they know he went to this house, and uh, it was George's theory that uh, that he went and, and then built all the rides at Disneyland off of George's garden. That is fascinating, and you've got such a vivid childhood memory, which I love, and you mentioned, you know, Johnny and June Cash, and, and your friends mm-hmm. with John Carter cash mm-hmm. and there is a significance mm-hmm. there too tell us about a cabin in nashville that you've really got fond childhood memories of there's an area called hendersonville outside of nashville and that's where all the stars and all the country music stars live the first national country star was roy acuff uh, he became the first national star he found hendersonville my dad was about the next person we moved out to hendersonville and he bought a thing called Cardill estates which was a, a nature reservation how do you spell that C a u d i l l. That is that is that's my maiden name. No joke. Oh, I kid you not. Yeah. That's my maiden name. I thought my my people were from Virginia, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, so, so he bought this huge area. Johnny Cash was his best friend. They were best friends from Sun Records. And uh, so he, he Johnny Cash moved to be next door to us. And uh, he he was such a good friend of my dad's. He he bought my dad sold him the left part of the yard, wow. <laughs> which was a you know a sizable area. So that was my family when I was young. We had kind of a private thing with guards, and we lived back in this big area on the lake. You know, so so I'm saying I come from kind of really big thinking, like everyone. I like just looking at a three foot by three foot plot and try to figure out what I can put in there: potatoes and carrots and tomatoes. You know, uh-huh. and how does that work? That's that's uh, that's I'm. I, I wouldn't have considered myself a gardener, but I'm into it, <laughs> especially right now. You talked about so, it being Zen and having statues and, you know, religious mm-hmm. things in the garden, too. That made me think I mm-hmm. recently went through a Japanese garden, like a private Japanese garden here in northwest mm-hmm. Atlanta. 
I have such a greater appreciation for the balance and just certain items being placed in such a way, I guess the feng shui, you could say, but that gives gardening a purpose and some chaos. It, it makes it more understandable and more balanced. That is so neat that you're into that, too, with your outdoor mm-hmm. space. Oh, yeah. And I decided to put down wood chips. That's what kind of makes it a walking path. And so I'm maximizing the space, going around the edges and a couple little curves and things. So it seems bigger than it is. Now, it's going to be tough. I'll I'll give you some garden advice. It's going to be tough to plant trees this time of year. Fall is so much more conducive to that. Everything else you're looking to do, shrubs and roses. Oh, you knock yourself out. That is exciting. We'll do the trees later. The big thing is rolling out this grass. You know, we cut down so much shrubbery and stuff. There was just no grass. So... First, I was thinking, do I even want to tell anybody this? Because it's just such a weird story, but it's a, it's a funny story. <laughs> okay. So I, there's a fence, and I wanted to cut all the ivy off the fence. People are saying, oh, watch out, it could be poison ivy. I even didn't care because I didn't know what poison ivy was. Uh-oh. I, I thought it was a maybe 24-hour itchiness. <gasps> And so I just jumped up there. I didn't have gloves. I didn't. I really. I was having so much fun. I was pretty high up on this wall, straddling it like a horse with these clippers, and I was clipping <laughs> on both sides, and I was clipping the middle, and just moving it off, and just kept on going. Didn't see any danger. And that night I was a little itchy on my oh. ankle, and then the next day I was pretty itchy. But and I just thought, oh man, I got poison ivy. People told me different stories. It's contagious. It's not contagious. Don't scratch it. Hot baths, cold baths. I heard. So I to didn't know anyone, what to do. To anyone who ever tells you don't scratch it, I'd like to slap them with the arm with poison oh. ivy because that is not possible oh. to not scratch it. <laughs> no, I was scratching my ankle and I looked down and it was bleeding and I just kept on scratching yeah. it so good. 10 days, you know, finally I it, it was spreading and something was wrong and I was like, "Oh no." So I went to the went to the doctor and uh, and he said, "Oh no, when it gets to a certain point it doesn't heal without treatment." Oh. Like, "Oh no, I really knew nothing about it. I didn't know it was going to be 11 days." I suppose it could almost kill you, you know, if it got infected. And now, what some not-so-smart gardeners have been known to do, Roy, is, and I've got a big area of it, so this would be tempting, mm-hmm. but burning it. Because burning it can get in your lungs, and literally think about if that was inside your body, how miserable that would be. That is yeah, the dumbest so thing. All down through the south, but definitely Georgia, Tennessee, a lot of poison ivy and poison oak and... Uh, don't mess with it. But my friends are laughing at it. But the doctor, the doctor, this was almost the scariest point. He said, do you mind if I take a picture of this? You know, some people come in here and they don't know how severe their case mm-hmm. is. And I want to show them what it is when it's really bad. Oh, it's like, oh, I'm a medical, I'm a medical, <laughs> like, uh, you know, <laughs> thing. you're, you're suffering. Example. You're suffering is having to help others. That's right. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you reminded me. I will post a picture of that on the Facebook page. If folks look at Green and Growing WSB on Facebook, that is a wonderful reminder, Roy. I'm going to post a Mm -hmm, picture of that. mm -hmm. Now, before we go, I want to give you an opportunity. You are so passionate about so many things. Like I mentioned, singer, guitarist, you've got a a music publication, you know, company and songwriters working for you who are some of the most talented folks in the country, certainly. Mm -hmm. They own Nashville, Mm -hmm. but you're just working Mm -hmm. on so many different things. I wanted to get, and part of the, you know, carrying on the legacy of your father in such a wonderful way, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about a couple of those things. Well, I'm really blessed because I get to still, I have so much footage and so much music of my dad, and and I get to see him and kind of experience uh, him and my mother. So we've got the Orbison movie coming out, and we've got a book that I wrote with my brothers. The, it's kind of a coffee table book, and we just uh, had a big number two album. 
in England, but hitting number two with a deceased artist. And, you know, England is the third biggest, the third biggest music market in the world. Roy Orbison with the Royal wow. Philharmonic Orchestra. That's one that they did with Elvis. They're doing Johnny Cash next. We have the number one play in the world uh, right now, Pretty Woman, the musical. I have a number one song right now that uh, we publish, Blake Shelton, Gwen Stefani, Nobody But You. Congratulations on that. Our next one, Tim McGraw, Cross Your Fingers, but I think uh, it's uh, Call Mama. Yes, yeah, just all over, but I love your talent and your taste for music and being so cultured and living everywhere that you do. And I want to share with folks, too, A Love So Beautiful is the compilation album and the world-famous Royal Philharmonic Orchestra doing the music in the background of your father's vocals. Amazing. Roy Orbison Jr., thank you so much. It has been wonderful to pick your brain and to talk with you. And promise, A, when you're in Atlanta, you'll hit us up. And B, when that garden project in the backyard there in Nashville is finished, I would love pictures of the final result. Okay, I'll take a couple while they're doing it and a couple after. And uh, thank you so much and have a great day. We'll be right back on Green and Growing on WSB. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. From a friend about a friend. And Scott, thanks for the reminder. Yes, you can find podcasts of the show and extra features, bonus clips, longer interviews on wsbradio.com get on the on demand section and you can listen to the show every week it's usually posted by monday morning and also spotify google play you can search green and growing with ashley frasca and you'll be able to find it there so there's the song i called mama by tim mcgraw my thanks to roy orbison jr he's the one of the co-presidents of still working music and that's that talented group of singers and songwriters that he was talking about and one of their songwriters wrote this very song and it is climbing the country music chart so if you want to hear the extended version of my interview with roy orbison jr we spoke for about half an hour we had the best time you can go where i just said wsbradio.com and click on on demand and the entire interview is there and on Spotify as well. 404-872-0750. A lot more coming up in the show. Definitely want to share with you some very passionate, enthusiastic young beekeepers. So coming up in about 10 minutes, if beekeeping has ever been a thing that you are interested in, then you're definitely going to want to hear this. It's definitely going to whet your appetite even more to get into that because I've got some great people right here at the WSB TV and radio studios who are into that. And I I myself have not gone and seen the two beehives yet. I know exactly where they are, so I got to scout that out and maybe share that on social media if I'm able to find it. And then coming up at 8.30, we'll hear from our friends at Pike Nursery, and they have a lot to share with you. There's so much going on at the nurseries. I just returned to the one in Town Lake for the first time in a few months this past weekend and got what I needed. I got impatience for the yard. I got some purslane. I got a lot of things that I'm really excited to plant. So they're there. They've got everything in stock, of course. And we'll be talking about herbs. It's never too late to plant an herb garden. So coming up at 8.30, some herbs you'll want to try, some you need to know about, and just care and maintenance and things like that. And I'm so excited for a lot of you who are finally starting to see some vegetables and fruits coming in. Hopefully you're just beginning to harvest some things. All of my plants are really late. I've got uh, the tomatoes and the bell peppers and cucumbers that I know are going to be on the later side of the summer before I really get to enjoy any of that. But I'm really excited to hear from some of you, too. So calling 
Calling in at 8 o'clock. Let's talk about the projects we're working on and the things we can share. 404-872-0750. Time to take a break and check news, weather, and traffic. I'm Ashley Frasca, and you are listening to Green and Growing right here on WSB. She grew up on the side of the road Where the church bells ring and strong love grows She grew up good, she grew up slow Like American honey Here in the studio, I've got some co-workers of mine Who I'm just meeting and getting to know But I can't wait for you to get to know them I've got Swampy Hawkins from WSB-TV and Shelby Watson as well. Good morning, guys. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So the way I found out about y'all's story, and like I said, I can't wait for it to unfold here, uh, a mutual friend of ours, a producer up at Channel 2, Ashley, put something on Twitter one day about a beehive, and I messaged her, and I was like, wait, here at work? Where? And she went, (laughs) yeah, up in the parking lot. We have a beehive here. And so I did some grunt work and found the two of you and kind of want to hear the story and share with people that y'all are newbie, no pun intended, newbie beekeepers at this. And this is something that many of the people in our building don't even know is happening. So Shelby, I'm going to start with you first. Let's get to know you. What do you do for Channel 2 upstairs? I actually work in the sales and advertising department. I do a lot of the digital advertising on behalf of our clients, and uh, I make sure that they have a good opportunity to grow their business just by working with WSB TV. Great. A good partnership we have. So we're on the first floor in radio, Channel 2 and many other subsidiaries of Channel 2 and all that they do upstairs is on the third floor. Swampy, I've got two questions for you. A, tell us about yourself. And B, you have to tell me the story behind the name Swampy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I work at WSB for a little creative group called Studio Two, and we're an in-house creative agency. We do um, commercial production and we create content for advertisers and for other clients. And my unfortunate childhood nickname uh, is just that. I was a swampy little kid, my family used to tell me. Uh, I used to apparently bring in snakes and frogs and crawdads and whatever I would catch in the yard and bring them inside. I no longer have an affinity for any of those things. Um, <laughs> it just stuck really hard. My real name's Christopher. I've just been swampy my whole life, and um, it's worked out well working in television entertainment. You can have a ridiculous name, and people respond to it. So. Yeah, and in radio, you know, DJs used to have fake names, and that seems so '70s and '80s now that we're <laughs> progressing in the in the world of radio and, and television and stuff. Like people start to kind of use their real names in the business. I know Ashley Frasca is my real name, but Swampy. So you never grew up in a place where you could bring like gators or crocodiles into the house, correct? I did. I I was actually in Florida when I picked up the nickname, uh, but we were in Jacksonville, and I was really little. I was like up until I was five, and then we moved around a bunch, but. No, never any gators. Okay, good. That would not belong in the house. (laughs) All right. So, Shelby, I'm going to start with you. It's really good to get to know you. And I want to know how you and Swampy, of all the people in this building and all the people in Midtown Atlanta, how did the two of you get together and form this idea to set up a beehive here at Channel 2? Another fun fact about me and Swampy's relationship is he was actually my officiant for my wedding last fall. Cool. Yeah. He was an amazing officiant. I'm sure Swampy does not want a lot of people to know that. (laughs) He doesn't want to be bombarded. But uh, that's another little fun fact. 
corporate, our corporate offices, Cox Enterprises, they worked with a company called Be Downtown, and they brought four hives, Be Downtown brought four hives over to Cox Enterprises, set them up, had them painted. They were really cool. Uh, Cox Enterprises sent out a survey to all the employees. Hey, help us name these hives, the queens, et cetera. Cute. Yeah, it was awesome. So I got a little jealous. <laughs> I was like, we need bees yeah. because a bees help the environment. One in three bites of food that you consume came from the support of a honeybee, whether they were pollinating something or whatnot. Uh, so it's actually a really important cause. And um, I went to our building management hey, can we work with Bee Downtown? And um, they were like, no, we actually can't afford that here at the station level. So uh, it took a while, but I got to thinking about it. And I formed a little group. Hey, would anybody else be interested in maybe having some beehives here at WSB? And we actually do have a bigger group. Since quarantine started, that's when we got our bees. Uh, We actually have only been able to really just be me and Swampy due to quarantine and social distancing efforts, things like that. Swampy and I, Swampy is actually, he was already beekeeping on his own last year. So I was like, oh, you're kind of a a bee master in my mind. And (laughs) Swampy's going to correct me. He's going to tell me, no, I'm just an amateur beekeeper. Uh, But he truly, I was like, oh, you know, beekeeping, will you please help us do this? Um, And he was so gracious to offer his support. So that's kind of how we got started. Now, what Swampy turned you on to becoming a beekeeper? What got you started? I, I've just always been really fascinated with honeybees. Just there, there, there's so many interesting things about them. And I literally, and I told Shelby this, I learn something new almost daily about honeybees. And it's almost pretty typically mind blowing. Um, I just love, I just love the, like the hive mentality that they're all working for a common cause. I think they're like a great example of, of, you know, a, a social construct that's just mutually beneficial they're helping each other. They're helping us. They're helping the planet. Um, and they're just, they're amazing little creatures. And they, you know, as soon as the sun's up, they get to work and they all know their jobs. And I don't know, it's just kind of, I, I like the concept of, uh, you know, being a worker among workers anyways. I just think it's, a you know, something that I believe in. And yeah, I just think they're really interesting and fascinating. And my wife and I um, moved to Atlanta from Los Angeles. And we were on a shoebox size uh, plot of land where our home was and in a really, you know, compact, pretty urban environment. So it just wasn't really an option. I think since we've left L.A., I think they've changed some ordinances and you can have a hive at your home now. Oh, cool. But so we moved here and we were living in an apartment and then we were living in a condo. And then we moved um, to a house with a little bit of land. I mean, to us, it feels like we have an estate. We're in in, (laughs) uh, Smyrna and we've got like an acre and a half. And it's amazing. We got a creek running through it and we have all kinds of crazy wildlife and my wife who's always a champion of all my crazy ideas and hobbies and, and vice versa i support hers too when we moved here she's like you know we can get beehives now and i just i hadn't even thought about it for the longest time i just put it out of my mind because it wasn't an option and now that we are, we're here i'm like oh my gosh we can have hives so we started last year with one hive we learned many many valuable lessons and um, and then the hive absconded, which means the bees kind of packed up all their honey and pollen and anything they could carry, and they left. Um, because they were upset with you or because it was just time? <laughs> they say ask 10 beekeepers and you'll get 12 different answers. That's pretty true that everyone's got their theories. First, I thought it was a couple of different pests that in- invaded the hive. And I think it might have been. I think it might have ultimately been varroa mites, which we might talk about later on. But 
Yeah, and and it could have been mismanagement on my part. I don't know. I'm learning from that. We're definitely in a learning phase. You know, and you mentioned how fascinating they are and just how neat it is to watch them. And June, this month that we're in right now, is National Pollinators Month. And that is really meant to promote and encourage the planting of pollinator gardens and non-native, non-invasive pollen plants. So I think it's so important for people to understand. I don't know that it's an extreme statement to say it. But I think without bees and without pollinators, and Shelby, I'm kind of looking at you here, we could not survive. We couldn't. Absolutely not. And something that I've learned in the past year is also that a lot of people see pollinator gardens and they think about the pretty flowers that you can plant, and those are absolutely part of it. But honeybees, and really a lot of pollinators, especially in the fall, love more of like the magnolia, the tree and brush, like shrub type of flowers. Uh, like tulip poplars are one of honeybees' favorite. That's things. cool. I didn't yes, know that. Uh, yeah, and a lot of trees get do get cut down, and so that's something to consider before you cut down a tree, especially a tulip poplar. Does this flower? Um, and bees also like to get pollen from other types of trees as well, uh, but especially in the fall, some of those uh, like the azaleas that are blooming again. Uh, something that Swampy and I have been learning, and I, Swampy is probably the one that told me this, but during the summer months, there isn't actually a lot that is pollinating. So they do a lot of storing up in the spring to get all that pollen in, and then they eat through that honey and the kind of heat and <laughs> really um, dog days of summer. And then probably around like end of August, September, when a lot of things start pollin- you know, pollinating, flowering again, then they can start storing up for the winter time to get them through winter. Uh, so that's something to consider. A lot of people think that, oh, you have honeybees, now you can just take their honey. No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't just want to rob them whenever because right. they, they do need it to survive. Uh, so thinking about when you are planting gardens, pollinator gardens do mean more than just like the pretty flowers. It also means a lot of brush and trees. Absolutely. And so you mentioned honey, and I, and I want to ask both of you, for me who knows nothing about beekeeping, but I'm intrigued. When do you harvest the honey, and is it just once a year, or is it multiple times a year? I'm going to let Swampy answer that one. Okay. First of all, we're not harvesting for the first year, and that's just something that we've been told. It's like kind of a conservative lesson that you just let your high, your colonies um, establish themselves and, and kind of make it through a winter, and, and then they're really strong. So, But typically, I think, like, late spring, um, after, like Shelby was saying, like, there's that, that, you know, obviously spring, everything's in bloom. The bees are working like crazy. They're building up their stores and reserves. And they just, by design, they know no limit to what they will store. Like, they will never stop that because they don't know if there's going to be a drought or what's going to be blooming or, you know, how much rain there's going to be or, uh, you know, they just, that's just their nature is to just store up, store up. And what Shelby described, they call it the dearth, which is, I don't know if it's an exact period, but it's kind of after the spring blooms and kind of things like the dog days of summer, as she said, it's things aren't, you know, things aren't in bloom. So that's what they have to eat is just what they've stored up. Um, and then they do, they kind of get a bounce again, I think in the fall when, when some other plants and trees, flowers and trees start blooming. And then that gets them through the winter. So to answer your original question, we kind of want them to have a solid year. And then after that first spring, which will hopefully be next year, 2021, we'll have kind of a boon of honey and we'll be able to harvest quite a bit of honey because they, they've proven themselves to be a strong colony and that they can survive. Does that 
answer your question? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's great. Now, guys, I got to take a break and we're going to check traffic and weather. And I have some questions for you on the backside of this break. So stick around for another few minutes. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Coming up on 8 o'clock and it's 70 degrees outside. The weather update. You want to plan your weekend today and tomorrow. Very similar mix of sun and clouds. It's going to be humid and it's going to be hot. Highs topping out around the high 80s, close to 90 degrees and lows in the 70s. And the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing here on Green and Growing. I am with some colleagues of mine who are doing some fascinating stuff here in Midtown Atlanta. Swampy Hawkins and Shelby Watson both work upstairs for Channel 2 and Studio 2, things at WSB Television. So y'all got a bee colony, a beehive. What's the right? What what do I say? We actually have two beehives uh, or colonies. either, Either one. Yeah. Two beehives here in in Midtown Atlanta, right here at the studios. And I was fascinated to learn that. It's going to be a process. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, Swampy, I wanted you to tell me really quickly in emails that we had exchanged back and forth, you said that there was a master plan for some of the artwork on these beehives. Oh, yeah. So before before the uh, pandemic, we had our graphic, our art department, the design team who does all the on-air graphics across WSB. You'll see their stuff everywhere. Two of their really talented artists had designed these beautiful paint kind of murals for the hive boxes. So, and bee nerd fact, the colonies are the bees and the hives are their are the boxes, their ah. homes. They had designed these awesome, it was like an Atlanta cityscape and it was the WSB hotel <laughs> with, a little welcome, with a welcome sign and then the cityscape. So now they're just kind of partially painted blue and white boxes with a few scattered flowers. But they're still pretty. We like them. Yeah, and and the homes are nice, and they're going to progress. So when they do, y'all share a picture of the finished product with me, and I'll be sure to put it on the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB, for anybody that wants to learn a little more about our conversation today. So I've got about a minute with each of you, and Shelby, I'm going to start with you here. For anyone listening that's always had an interest in this and just has not really pulled the trigger to start as a beekeeper, what encouragement would you give them? I would say do it. Right now, don't even overthink it any longer. There is a ton of information you will always need before starting, but to me, the experience of just doing it has given me so much more confidence to keep going and knowing what that I do know more about bees than I thought. And to me, I find working with them to be a very meditative experience. They're doing their own work. You're just there to kind of see what they're doing and make sure that they're thriving and alive. Uh, so I would just say do it. It's easier than you think. <laughs> Sometimes you can make it harder than you than it actually is we do tend to overthink things yeah. don't we <laughs> all right now swampy so you've got a little more experience than shelby tell me what is your favorite part what is the most fun thing about all of this they're hypnotically fascinating i mean so our two hives in our yard are doing great but like shelby said it is really meditative like my two-year-old son and i go down by our hives regularly and you can get you know within a few feet as long as you're not kind of blocking their entrance and, and the two of us just will just spend time down there watching them come and go. And you see the forager bees coming in with their pollen pants on. If you're not aware of pollen <laughs> pants, you should Google that phrase because it's amazing. And the pollen, they're all different color pollen that they bring in. And, yeah, we just, we just really enjoy watching them. And they're just endlessly fascinating. And we really look forward to getting some honey next year. Take a class. Yeah. If, you know, you, you can't really take an in-person class these days. Maybe, maybe now that things are opening back up, you have that option. But... Take an online class, go to a a beekeeping group, the Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association are just great. They're all happy to help you and 
it's fun and a welcoming group of interesting people. Yeah, there's so many Facebook groups where you could find the beekeepers closer to you or reach out to your local extension office. If you go to extension.uga.edu, that hooks you up with the University of Georgia system and you find your county. And then when you talk to your, uh, your extension agent, they'll be able to tell you what the activities are in your county. So that's great advice. Well, Swampy, Shelby, promise me this. The two of you will keep in touch with me. And even if I don't have you on the, the radio regularly, we will check back up but i want to at least keep our listeners up to date on the facebook page so will you kind of share the progress with me absolutely yes be happy to yeah we'll definitely serve some honey for you as well oh i love it (laughs) i love it all right well y'all have a great morning thanks for coming by thank you so much thank you When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.